I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the ETL Roundtable podcast. I am your host today, Jake Jackman, standing in for Kev. You can reach out the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable or email us EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beak, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also a presenter of a local community sports radio show, the Meridian Sports Show. You can get me at at the Eagles Beak, uh, for the Eagles Beak, obviously, and at the Meridian SS for the radio show. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Hi, everyone. It's Joshy here. Um, I'm a Manchester United fan. You can get me on Twitter um, at Medi Joshi, M-E-D-I-J-O-S-H-I. And uh, I do various podcasts and YouTube stuff. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, we start with the topics. And the first one um, is on the television broadcasting in the UK. Um, always a big topic, but especially now with fans not in the stadium for at least another month, and even if they do go back, most stadiums won't be full. Um, at the time of recording, 160 matches um, of 380 will not be shown on television in the UK next year. I know myself that none of the Newcastle games have been shown in September, so I, I have no legal way of watching that, um, which is a bit of a disappointment, but um, I'm sure there's other clubs in the same situation. Um, there is a possibility that this could change over the next week. There's been a lot of pressure from fan groups uh, for the Premier League to make these games available, whether that's on Sky or if clubs could sell um, broadcasting passes for specific matches. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on what you think would be the best way forward for the Premier League. And do you think it would be um, feasible for them not to show these games at all? Um, I, I think it's ridiculous, to be honest. I mean, it's a difficult situation for everybody. But until I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit aggrieved at the fact that you know they're allowing a, a certain percentage of fans into the ground. My view is that we either let all fans go back in or none at all. Um, but obviously, we can't penalise fans who would normally go and see, you know, every in my situation, every Palace game, home and away. Um, and we're facing a situation where we're not going to be able to do that. Um, there's going to be very limited tickets. Um, and that's just the way it's going to happen. I mean, I'm just about to pay for my season ticket for next season. And I face only potentially being able to go to two or three games, if that, you know, it's it, you know, the way it's going to work out. So, yeah, things could change going into next year, obviously, um, for better or for worse. We don't know. It's, it's all a very difficult situation. But I think there's um, a lot of frustration among fan groups. And, and my group particularly have, have campaigned quite vociferously about the fact that you know we're we're sitting here facing the fact that we can't go and see our team, you know I'm a football fan so I watch a lot of football. I like watching other teams as well as my own. I, I enjoy football, full stop, as, as as a lot of football fans do. But 
the pure fact of not being able to go and see my team play is extremely frustrating when I'm actually going to shell out for a season ticket as well. It's It seems a ludicrous situation to be in, heading into a brand new campaign after all the stops are pulled out, let's face it, all the stops are pulled out for that six-week period to get the season done, last season done, the extended season as it was, show all the games, uh, fans couldn't go, but just the, the, just the simple thought that, you know, because a two and a half thousand, up to five thousand fans can go to a game, it seems to be that, you know, we're not worried about everybody else. You know, some fans can go to games. Let's not worry about the rest. It, it's it's a really, it's a really horrible situation to be in. I know it must be difficult. I mean, you know, I've I've seen a lot recently about returning to offices and, and returning to college and being involved in my daughter's um, return to college this week and, and the arrangements for that. And it, I get it. It's so difficult to to sort things out at the moment. But I, I'm I'm still I'm still in the camp where um, I, I personally think that. You know, if if all fans can't go back into the ground, none of them should. Um, and obviously, this TV situation just has salt to the wounds at the moment. You know, it's a really difficult time for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people can't pay out for certain things and stuff like that. Football is it really is an escapism, just like any other sport for football fans. So yeah, it's a really frustrating time, and I I understand the financial impact and all that kind of thing. But if they could do it for the last you know six weeks to get the Premier League done, you know, to, uh, you know couple of months ago then um then what i'm not sure why they can't do it until things start to improve this campaign we don't know what the outlet's going to be do we let's face it but it's all a it's all a little bit hypothetical but that's that, that's my view anyway i don't know what you, you you other guys think about it yeah i obviously like don't know the logistics of all that but considering they were able to show all the games for the six weeks to finish last season I don't know what the difference would be for doing the same now, um, especially when there are no fans, at least for now. Like, I know, I know sports leagues have been trying to crack down on illegal streaming. It's like, what do you want me to do? Stare at, like, stare at my phone and refresh while, like, hoping my team wins? Like, you're giving me no way to watch the game, whether that be shelling out for a game ticket or watching on TV. There's no way for me to do this. And that just seems a bit ridiculous. Like we, you people have zero option to see the games. Um, so obviously, you know, preface that with, I don't know the logistics of everything with the TV contracts and all that. But it does seem, just from my lack of knowledge view, that it's a bit ridiculous considering they were able to do it for the last six weeks. Why not just do it again um, until fans are allowed back in? Uh, which I, as Jay says, maybe maybe even for when all fans are allowed back in, because even if it's a limited amount, then that's still a lot of people with no option to watch the game. And it's not even a matter of like, oh, you're not spending the money to go watch. It's like, I literally don't have the option. That's not possible. So for that to be the case seems a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I think I, I, I kind of echo those things. And it's a strange one for me because, I, you know, when I, 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 I don't know, I, miss, I missed some of the announcements. So... At one point, I thought they were going to be showing all of the matches next season. And at that stage, I thought it might be worth shelling out on a subscription for Sky and or BT, right? So actually, from that point of view, they may, the TV, it might benefit TV companies if they're able to do that. But at the moment, they're not. Um, oh, the other thing that kind of <laughs> triggered me into trying potentially uh, subscribing to Sky again was the fact they, they sacked quite a few of their current punters. <laughs> So I was kind of, well, oh, that, that, that might be interesting. But yeah, I think, I mean, there's not much more to add other than um, uh, the fact that 
look, if if we can't all go back, we, we want to be able to watch the games. It's clearly logistically feasible, and you know there are options. And I think it would it was an opportunity for a bit of innovation as well, right? So as I understand it, in the US, you can get kind of season passes for your team. Uh, in I think I think NFL. I'm not sure, but you know. So oh, yeah, I mean, yeah a... you can do that for NFL. Yeah, and then for um, football, you can uh, subscribe to NBC Gold, and you get all the games. Um, you just have to watch them on the computer. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. It was an opportunity for a bit of innovation. You know, uh, a bit of fan centric kind of thinking, and they still would have made money. So the, uh, they've kind of missed. They've they've sort of. What about fans, which is which is standard practice when you consider things like even just when when things were normal, and uh, you know, and fans wanted to go to stadiums and they were um, you know having to travel. Train times were always a, a ridiculous thing. That you'd have you know FA Cup semi uh, semi finals being played in London when both teams were up from from up north. You know, things like that where where it didn't really work out. And again, it's just come here as well. And this is much much easier logistically. It's just a case of right, that's let's sort out some kind of fan pass. You know, you can do that. If you can download a movie from from Sky, you can subscribe to, surely, a, a season ticket for all United games or all whatever games you want to watch, or to every game if you want a monthly subscription, something like that. I don't know. I think they've missed a trick, and it's just, again, um, the fans being ignored. It's pretty much standard practice, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really weird situation. Um won't go into the Newcastle takeover, but that was very centred on uh, broadcast partners and, and, and they were getting involved in things like that. So they were very protective of them. They've obviously had other issues this, this past week with the Chinese broadcasting deal getting cancelled. So, so there's no legal way to watch the Premier League in China either, which, which again, isn't really great. Um, but you think their focus should really be on, on the UK first and foremost. And um, they could do it through Sky, they could do it through BT, they could come to some sort of arrangement. I think there's already a, a rebate that needs to be paid, so maybe that, that could be off, offset a little bit by giving them more games at the start of this season until fans can be completely back. Um, members could, could pay per game to watch um, as well, because then that way it, it still cracks out. It still gives Sky and BT that sort of exclusivity, um, and, and, and it is really only the fans of those clubs that can watch the matches when if they aren't on TV, but I think something will happen this week. It seems that the sort of mood music seems to be that um, the supporters trusts and the government um, sort of get will get some sort of arrangement with the Premier League to broadcast these games. But it does seem very strange that with a week to go to the season, um, there will be uh, supporters that can't watch their their games. Uh, this is a knock-on effect of completing last season and we're going to see it for the next 12 to 18 months even into the following season you're seeing it for these international matches now they're a complete joke it should not be happening right the players have been running to the ground and they're playing international games three three weeks after the season ended a week before the season starting it's, it's a joke and and this tv thing is also a kind of a bit of a knock-on effect right it was, all the effort was put into completing last season and now they're kind of going oh well now what do we do what i don't get is Premier League, I'm not sure like, how do they lose out if they open up these matches? This, this is kind of where maybe I don't have enough knowledge about the kind of intricacies of how they how they make their money, but if the Premier League say to Sky and BT uh, here you can have the matches, then I, how do they lose out on money versus 
not allowing them to have the matches. I, I, I don't really get that. If part. I had to guess, and this is obviously a guess, I don't know, it's something to do with they negotiate, like you can have X number of matches and they would want to renegotiate to allow them to have them all. That's a guess. I don't know. But again, as you say, it seems like it's almost so easy that like the fact that they're not doing it feels like I'm missing something. Yeah, I think I'm missing something as well. Because either way, they're going to have the same amount of money coming from Sky and BT, right? As far as I can tell. Um, and this is what I mean by they've missed out on a bit of innovation here. If they just, like, you know, you you mentioned a couple of other options that they could do on their own website and their own kind of broadcasting, which would be quite, not, not I, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, like, you know, click your fingers and it's all good to go. But, you know, it's not going to be that difficult to work out how to broadcast online. I mean, plenty of people do it on their own websites. So, it's it's it is it's a weird one, and I feel like I ha I am missing a part of the, the the a link in this story as to why it's become such an issue. Yeah, yeah, I I, I completely agree. I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see what what happens from here, um, because I for one know that if I'm not able to watch my team on Saturday, I'm going to go online and look for a way that I can, and I'm, I'm yeah. sure I'm not going to be the only one. Yeah, I mean, what is strange is like when, so I'm, I'm, I was born in Zambia, go back quite a lot, and I haven't been back in a while, but I know that they get their, basically on match days, instead of having, they, they use Supersport, right? So it's, I think it's a South African company. And on match days, it goes from four Supersport channels to like 12 or something like that to accommodate every single match. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just you know, there's, there's another kind of example of how a company's able to do that. And they get to watch every single match, including the three o'clock kickoffs. But in the UK, we don't, which is, and in this situation, it, it feels even more ridiculous than normal. But anyway, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Moving on to the next topic, um, a fun one to, to go into, the transfer window. Uh, it seems to have taken on a lot for itself <laughs> recently. Chelsea ended last season losing uh, an FA Cup final, but now we've been talking about them Chelsea contenders because they've won the transfer window. It all seems a, like a game within itself, and it's um, so ridiculous, really. Um, and, and if I look at each transfer that's made by a Premier League club, I can see everybody says it's a good transfer, uh, and I rarely see a, an incoming player be greeted with that's a bad transfer. But it just seems every, every transfer is good. So it's it's all it, it, it's all become a little bit too much for me. And I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how the transfer window has evolved. Jake, I have to agree with a lot of points you said there. I detest the transfer window and everything that goes with it. I mean, I, you know, I run a fan site, as you know, um, a Palace fan site, and and just the the ramping up of fan frustration and the toxic atmosphere across the off season is just ridiculous. By all these so-called transfer in the no accounts um it's difficult to sift out any that are actually legitimate um it's just really it's a really horrible time of the season i i don't enjoy it in the slightest i i think you mentioned chelsea there and and you know i think we talked about this on a podcast um earlier on uh, a few months ago when obviously you know we were, we were looking ahead to how the premier league was going to kind of finish last season and, and we talked about football not being the same again and and a lot of what's happened over the past few weeks has really surprised me. Um, maybe, maybe that's foolish. I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe I shouldn't be surprised by anything that happens in football um, ever. But it, you know, 
we talked about inflated prices wouldn't happen again and, and, and clubs wouldn't be able to afford to pay certain transfer fees and you know we're looking at Chelsea is one thing because obviously they've they've had a war chest saved from you know the last couple of transfer wins where they they haven't been able to pay uh, you know buy bring anybody in and they've clearly been frustrated for for a fair while which is why they're splashing the cash a fair bit now but you know the likes of you know Wolves spending 35 million on what 18 19 year old recently puts pressure on well, fans and clubs and, you know, in a, in a similar position in the Premier League to actually, you know, be looking to spend money. And not every club can do that, particularly in, in, in the current situation we find ourselves. I think some clubs will always be able to spend that money. Chelsea, uh, United to a certain extent, City. Um, you know, Liverpool haven't really spent anything as yet, but do they need to is, is another question. But, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of transfer window. It, it was okay to start with. Uh, I, I'm... I'm more of an advocate of um, not having any transfers during the season. Once the season starts, that's it. And, you know, the coaches earn their crust by being a coach and coaching the players. No bailout in January, and, and that's pretty much it. You've got a squad of players, and, and you go with it. How practical that is, I don't know, but I that wouldn't avoid the fact that you'll have the transfer window in the summer, and it'll probably be a lot, a lot worse than it is now. But, yeah, I... I, I try, I say I try and avoid, I mean, I'm not big on transfer rooms at all from what we do at the Eagles Beak. We don't get involved in that kind of thing. We don't We don't normally share stuff um, from from certain in, in the no accounts. And it's it just whips fans up into a frenzy for, for no particular reason. And, you know, fans are silly enough to get involved in that and get frustrated by that. Then I, I guess perhaps, you know, you know, they, they probably shouldn't be on social media, but it, it, it really is a, it's a horrible time of uh, uh, for football particularly. Um, and, yeah, I don't enjoy it in the slightest. I don't get involved in it. And just at the moment, it's all you see on social media, actually, uh, in terms of um, fans wanting this, wanting that. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. Um, yeah, it, I, I guess it's the culture we're, we're, <laughs> we're now kind of enjoying. And, you know, I... I I'm not going to be negative about social media because a lot of what what's happened to, to my fan account is, is, has come through social media and been able to promote it through that, and that's been really good. Um, but I think, you know, things have... The question was about whether the transfer windows evolved. I think it's evolved into something very different. It's a very different monster now uh, to what it was before. Um, deadline day is very different. You know, you don't really get the, the last-minute deals that we used to have on the, on the first perhaps two or three transfer windows we had. Um, that was probably more enjoyable back then, but that kind of smacks of clubs being de- you know, desperate and leaving to last minute, uh, which normally included Palace, so I'll, I'll be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not a big fan. Um, it, it's, it's just a media, media frenzy, um, and, and a media frenzy that all the big names get involved in. You know, Sky Sports, I'll mention as one being... One of the protagonists, particularly, you know, Sky Sources, that kind of thing. Well, you know, if that's if they've got any other sources on what happens on Twitter, then uh, I'll be very surprised. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
appointment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, yeah, it's really turned into a lot. Um, but I don't know if that's entirely surprising. Like, uh, NBA is also kind of having the same thing. Lots of people are like, oh, are people more excited about free agency, which is our version of that than the actual season itself. Um, I'd say, honestly, I think it's less of an issue for football um, because because the regular season matters more. They don't have the whole playoff regular season issue. But um, I don't know. It's a lot. People like hope, and that's kind of what the transfer window is. It's selling you hope. Like, oh, we could get X. We could get Y. We could spend a bajillion pounds. Um, and I don't know. I think the more you the more you get used to it, the more you kind of – filter out the ridiculousness um obviously most people aren't going most people don't do that um so you get the people who are just kind of having that hope when there's not really any hope there it's false hope um i guess that's that's really what the window sells is false hope um it's i don't think it's that surprising that's big because people love love new players love shiny new toys and that's you can get that um I don't know if there's necessarily a way that we can do this better. So it kind of is what it is. Um, other than, you know, people on Twitter learning like, okay, Indy Calia is not a reliable source. You're not signing Messi. Calm down. Although City actually could sign Messi. Um, uh, probably not now. But, um, you know, it is what it is. People love hope. People love new toys. That's what the transfer window is. I'm not shocked it's big. I don't think it's going to change. Um, and I'm, I've kind of learned to live with it. It is what it is. Yeah, Josh, it might be interesting to get your thoughts on this because Manchester United finished higher than Chelsea last season. Um, you signed a player in January who did go on and transform your team and, and made you look a lot better. And, and yet, even now, I see Manchester United fans on social media saying, oh, Chelsea signed all these players. Now they, they are better than us with, with, with very little to go off other than they have find these players that have done well elsewhere. There's no guarantee they'll do well here. Um, I think I read one um, Chelsea fan saying this is the best uh, summer transfer window of any club in the history of English football, which you know, is a brave thing to say without any of them kicking a ball for their team. Um, so do you sort of think it's a little bit overhyped in, in, in the Chelsea yeah. example in particular? Do you think that, are you, do you now think they're guaranteed to finish up above Manchester United purely on these signings? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, the guys have hit the nail on the head with the window. It's it's an absolute farce, and it's just a... I mean, I, I, I try to stay out of the... Um, it's all the kind of rumours and things like that. Um, with regards to your question, I think, you know, Chelsea have had a good window on paper, but, it, like you say, there's no guarantee. It looks like they've signed a good profile of player um, in, in fairness, it's not like just it doesn't feel too too massively scattergunned. They've brought in players, good age, uh, good pedigree generally, and uh, with it comes the fees, right? So I think it's it, it's not necessarily um, like just a, oh let's go and sign everyone that we can. Uh, so from that point of view, it ha- I think they, they've had a good window. I mean, I, I saw that thread where where they said. 
these these have been definitively the greatest transfers in Premier League history. I mean, oh no, they said Premier of the modern era. So I'm assuming the Premier League history is the modern era, depending on how old that guy is. Um, but yeah, I think what they represent is it's kind of like the potential for what this team could be, right? Regardless of whether it's Chelsea, United, whoever. Um, we saw at the end of last season that United, we pretty much stuck with this with a core group of around 11 to 13 odd players who were just constantly on the on the pitch every game and by the time we hit you know when we brought in the weaker players or the the second string against you know in the FA Cup and then um we tried to, you know we struggled and then against Sevilla we just didn't have any legs in the Europa League right we just kind of ran out of steam and in the end we do need reinforcements so over the course of a a Premier League season with Champions League as well, you can see that being a big issue for for a for for a squad that's pretty much reliant on a, on, a, on a small group of players. So for United, I can see why people are saying Chelsea are pretty you know are in a much stronger position than United, um, despite the way in which we finished the season. Um, that said, you know there's you're you're hoping that there's going to be a bit more maturity from the likes of Greenwood um, and, and Brandon Williams, who who did really well. So, um, and, and we've got uh, we have signed a midfielder who gives us options for some of those players that were were looking knackered, like Bruno Fernandez. So, it's not a there's still time as well. So we'll see what happens. The window itself, I think, is I I, I just I just. Yeah, it's a pain. It's a real pain because you do get all of this stuff just coming coming at you and people pretending they know stuff. I mean, the Donny van der Beek transfer is a really good example of actually people aren't as in the know as they think they are, right? Or they pretend to be because that was that started doing the rounds on social media. And then two days or three days later, it was pretty much official, right? And he'd been announced. Um, it has It's not a transfer that's been kind of widely reported over the last three, four, five months. Um, so it tells you that not these guys aren't aren't sort of don't have a hotline into Ed Woodward. They're just kind of fishing and and seeing what they can come up with for clicks. I mean, a lot of these journalists do have, and actually things do change in transfers, right? So you know. The fact that United might be going for Jaden Sancho, and they may have been close at one point, but then things stalled. I, I can see that being realistic. But then, when you, if you tally up, and it won't just be for United, it will be for every Premier League club. They'll, you know, you, you're talking they'll probably be linked to, you know, 20, 30, 40. I mean, United will be up in the hundreds. I'm pretty sure uh, of players linked to to coming to the club, and and people have used us in the past to get new contracts and. Sergio Ramos was a famous one. So, you know, I'm, I just ignore things as much as possible until they're kind of wearing wearing the shirt. And uh, and even then, it, 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 with the if, if you remember when Louis van Gaal was manager, United went out and bought, um, I think it was Di Maria, Falcao, Schweinsteiger, Schneiderlin. You know, it was a, the, that transfer window. I thought, oh, wow, okay, we've done some, some good business here. And it turned out to be, just chucking money at big names and um, it didn't quite work out. And I'm not saying that's what Chelsea have done, but it's kind of an example. And Tottenham, after they sold Gareth Bale, they went out and bought a whole ton of players. 
So, and Chelsea have done it after having sold Eden Hazard. So, that I would say, if any Chelsea fan is listening, that to sort of go in with, with some caution in terms of how you claim these transfers to go. But in the end, if it works out, that you can only judge a transfer at the end of it, right? Nobody talks about how much um, Cristiano Ronaldo cost Juventus because he's banging in goals. He's doing his part of the business. And um, you only judge the transfer at the end, right? Once they've finished their uh, careers or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think the window is what it is. We have to kind of live with it. And, and I don't think there's any any way you can improve it. It's people are, want to make money off these things and clicks and whatnot. So we go with it. Um, from a United perspective, I hope the window evolves and we, we sign a few more players just to fill some of the gaps that we do have in the team. Yeah, if you get these accounts up every summer that go off newspapers and sort of tweet things that are slightly believable and if they come off, they, they retweet themselves saying, look, I've got this knowledge. And make, I mean, I could go and make an account like that and get 10,000 followers. In, in the next I, four weeks, it's, it's not difficult. <laughs> Arsenal have, have a horse and a bell that are apparently ITK. It's great. No, I made an account like that as a joke, uh, not as a joke, as an experiment, and it gained a ton of followers very quickly. And all I did was look at betting odds and the latest stories, and then I did, and then put like some predictive tweets out, uh, as in predicting transfers. And then when they went through, you just hype yourself, and the ones that don't go through, you delete them. <laughs> It's really easy. Actually, I can't remember where that is now. I need to need to find it. Yeah, but it was, and then and then oh yeah, that was it. I and then I kind of announced that I didn't. I was only messing. I was only like prattling, you know, making it all up kind of thing. And then it sort of lost traction. Nobody cared about someone making things up. Obvious, obviously. Yeah, it's all very vague language, and and it's the language that we all. On, on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I, I do like an income transfer for my own team, but I just think yeah, it's evolving. You know, every every year we had four or five years ago, you had Sky Sports that did a deadline day um, coverage. They still do that, but it used to be it used to be where you found your news. You rarely see a transfer happen out of nothing. Um, it is rare to get things like that now. You normally hear about an interest months in advance of, of a player signing, and it's it. Getting the coverage of every single part of the deal as it progresses is just a little bit tiresome uh, as opposed to what it used to be. But that is the social media, and um, yeah, I guess that is just only going to get worse. And it can't. I, get I, always, I always find the language amusing, right? So things like Manchester United are preparing a bid. Okay? <laughs> so how do you prepare a bid? Or they're monitoring the situation closely. They're sort of going, okay, so what? They've got a crew of spies just checking it out. It's just all this this language around transfers is is, is pretty is pretty hilarious and, and and when you when you think about it, there's no way it happens that way. It's not like you sort of go right, call the bank manager. How much cash do we have? Okay, cool. You sort of know all of these things. It's all done through relationships and phone calls and conversations. It's not really done in in the way you you think it is, uh, by or you would think it is by um, reading all of these reports. But yeah, no, it's it's amusing, but I I, I can't wait for it to be done. Every year, uh, this is the stage as well. About three weeks to go, right, in the window, or has it been extended? Uh, I think it closes at the start of October, doesn't it? Maybe the twelfth. Yes, about, about oh, so about a month-ish. So now it will get silly season. It's it's kind of this is now when it just get totally silly because people, are, you know, clubs will be desperate and then everyone will be linked with everyone. It will be oh god, it will be unbearable. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
lot of love on transfers, but I'll start on the transfers as I think a little bit um, to talk about with Palace. They've been um, to be trying to lower their squad age, which I think is quite an important thing for them to do. Uh, Nathan Ferguson has come in. Obviously, Eze is coming from QPR. How do you sort of rate the transfers that you, you have completed it, and are you encouraged to see younger players coming into the club? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, after the last few years, and obviously last season, it was really hyped up that we have a probably the the the, the oldest squad in in the Premier League. I think there's a, there's a number of times that we had the oldest first eleven uh, being rolled out onto the pitch, and uh, we didn't do too badly for a bunch of uh, veterans, really, when you when you think about it. But I think the ethos this time around is clear that it's it, it's with a view to um, transitioning this season into a squad which uh, dra- dramatically has the average age brought down with the signing of Nathan Ferguson I think that was one which was pretty much done in January really until it was revealed that he had a knee uh, had to have knee surgery so it, it wasn't it didn't go over the line by the time the, uh, the the transfer window closed in January but it was always on the cards as soon as the uh, the, the window opened uh, in the summer so that that's a really good addition for us because ever since we lost Aaron Wan-Bissaka, we never replaced him. We relied on Joel Ward to, to come back into the side, who lost his place to Aaron Wan-Bissaka when he went uh, when he got injured, and, and, and Wan-Bissaka never looked back after that. Um, but we've just won natural right back during the season. I mean, no disrespect to Joel Ward, he did a fantastic job last season. I think probably was the best I've seen him play in that position, actually. Um, and it, it seemed like he played knowing that actually there was nobody else left to play in that position um, unless it was like a, a square peg in a round hole. So um, fair play to him. But obviously he needs competition and he's not getting the younger. I think some people would argue that he's not actually a Premier League player, uh, a defender, but actually I think last season proved that he has far more brains as a defender uh, as he's getting older than he has uh, pace and he did really well for, for the majority so fair play to him but Nathan Ferguson will will come in and, and challenge Joel for for a lot of the season whether whether Nathan Ferguson will actually start for us he's still getting over that knee injury uh, that remains to be seen but um, Eze is, is the one for us I mean that is uh, that is a big signing for us and uh, I think it's a bit of a marquee signing really uh, probably one of the marquee signings well one of the biggest signings for us in terms of you know, outlook and, and approach to a transfer window. It's been no secret that we've been interested in him um, for, for a while. We've been watching him play, and I, I think I think he fits. You know, I think I think he just fits with the whole the whole way Palace uh, do things. He hasn't got to move, you know, move house because he's just travelling uh, this short trip across uh, across London from QPR. QPR seemed like a need to sell him, uh, and having spoken to QPR fans, I have to say, I mean, they're they're gutted to lose him, but you know he comes to Palace with a glowing reference, and a number of other clubs were interested, but didn't didn't obviously make a, you know make a bid other than I think West Brom were interested. West West Ham couldn't because they had to sell players before uh, before buying, uh, as, as far as I believe it. So we were kind of freed up a fair bit to to agree that deal, and I think if we manage to keep Wilf this summer, which you know the closer we get to transfer window, the more nervous or more, the closer we get to the end of the transfer window, the more nervous it gets. Um, if we have Wilf and, and Eze in this side and we find we bring in a striker, which is rumoured to happen before the, before next weekend, uh, then I, I think we'll be, I, I think we'll be, I think it will do what we needed to do in this window. I think it was a hugely important window for us and one where we have to get things right from 
both an age perspective and a needs perspective. And the needs were a right back, um, a, a bit of a flair player to, to give Wilf a break if he was going to stay, or even a replacement if, if Wilf does go. Um, and also, you know, a striker because we've had a good pre-season. Um, you know, but it's our biggest problem is we can't finish chances we're creating and we just need that guy up front. Um, Christian Benteke has got a, a toe injury, which he ended the season with. And he also, um, uh, Connor Wickham, which I'll be surprised if he's still at the club by the time the transfer window ends. Um, so, yeah, still a couple of more needs, but I think the outlook is looking good from Palace perspective. And to be honest, reading all the predictions from a, from a lot of the so-called pundits suggesting Palace going to go down this season will just work in our favour, to be quite honest with you. I think there's far worse squads in this Premier League than, than there are us. And, you know, we've got a bit of know-how in this in this Premier League. And, you know, um, yeah, youth is great. Youth is, is really good to have in your squad. But I, I don't think there's a lot... Uh, there, 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 you can have a lot better than experience in a squad. And we have that in, in abundance. So I think, I think we'll be all right. A couple more additions before the end of the transfer window. And we'll go into it. We just need to make sure we start well because we ended the season on a poor run of form. Um, but with that new blood on the side, somebody exciting like Eze, you know, to, to, to light up a game every now and again, you know, it won't be just on Wilf's shoulders, you know, if he stays. So uh, the outlook's looking okay for us at the moment and, and we're doing the right thing in this window. Um, still more needs, uh, potentially going into January and next summer. Um, but yeah, a bit of transition going on, but we'll be all right. Yeah, I think it's important to, when you are trying to transition, you don't want to do it all in one summer. Um, Alice, uh, you mentioned Zaha there. Probably the reason you hate the transfer window is Wilfred Zaha. But, um, <laughs> every every transfer window, it's 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 Wilfred. I think it's almost four years now. I think it's been very much the same. And obviously, last last summer was very fraught with him tra- handing a transfer request twenty four hours before the window closed, which you know, you know, not lots going to happen in that short space of time. But I just, you know, I I just hope. Um, but I, I, I wonder if he's actually priced himself out of the market. He didn't have a great season last season. You know, whether whether you look at the big clubs in the Premier League, you know, they filled certain gaps. You know, some of the destinations, potential destinations like Arsenal, um, even Everton, um, are filled gaps that you know Wilf could probably fill. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that he's going to stick around, and it's not going to be another four weeks of Wilf. Is Wilf going to be stay or or go? But um, the only slight worry I have is that he's had an excellent pre-season. So you know, if he carries it on to the first few games of the season, there's still time for you know somebody to come in and uh, you know. I don't, I don't see Wilf as a gamble. I'm really surprised he's still with us. I just don't see him as a gamble because he's a seasoned Premier League player. You know, he can turn it on at the click of a finger. You know, I, the only downside is, uh, you know, he, his wage expectations are quite high. Palace want to be paid well for him, which is which is only right. He's our prized asset. Um, I wouldn't be hugely disappointed as I would have been in previous transfer windows if he does go this summer because we've got Eze coming in who's who looks who look who really looks like he's gonna be a star, you know, after talking to QPR fans. And, you know, it's a long way to go for him. He's a young player, he's not playing the Premier League, but you know, from what I've seen uh from his time at QPR, from speaking to people at QPR, QPR fans, I think he's gonna be the real deal and he's gonna cause, you know, a, a, quite a few problems. So if we do lose our heart, then Eze will just be the guy that slots in and becomes that star player, hopefully, in, you know, over time. But um, 
I really want to see Wilf and Eze playing the same team together. If we can keep Wilf, then yeah, it, I, I think that'll that'll see us through this season. Yeah, it'll be interesting if um, he does play with uh, Zaha and Eze in the same team because Podgen is obviously a manager that likes to have working hard and working back, something that Zaha sometimes doesn't do. But um, do you think that he'll be able to fit them both into the team? I, I think surprisingly that pre-season has shown actually there's there's a there's a fair bit of opportunity for change in this Palace squad. Um, we actually played one of the games with as a Will Townsend in the side, um, and it was it was great to watch. It really was, and admittedly it was against the League One side, but you know they linked up really well, uh, looked really good. Um, didn't have too much of a concern at the back, but obviously you know we're not playing Premier League opposition. Um, I mean, Eze's bought into, he's come to Palace and he's, he's bought into the, the, what seems to be a new ethos at Palace, a new way of, um, a new way of playing. So while, while um, Hodgson would always set up his sides staunchly defen- defensive, he's going to, I really think he's going to give Eze and Wilf a lot more freedom to do what they want to do and just, you know, express themselves on the pitch. When you've got a core midfield of the likes of MacArthur, McCarthy, Luca, and you've got a, a strong back line and a strong keeper. You've got that ability to actually, you know, have the likes of Eze, um, Wilf, IU to link up together as that, you know, as that attacking force up front. Which, you know, those three in the side. I mean, IU had a fantastic season last season. Still, I still believe that went so under radar. It's ridiculous. You know, we spent two and a half million for him, and he scored nine goals for us. But he was instrumental in a lot of our results last season. And he linked up really well with players. Those three playing together with the likes of Townsend as well, um, you know, chipping in. I, for me, that that that's quite an exciting. That's a proper rollback to the old Palace sides of you know attacking players and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's going to be a certain amount of defensive play in that side. Um, Hodgson will will always do that, but I think you know you build from the back, and if you have if you give players like Wilf and there's a a license to. Uh, to, to express themselves on a pitch, I, I, I see them causing, you know, a, a fair bit of damage to, to some of these players, like Wilf has already done before. So I'm hoping that they will just follow suit. So f- fingers crossed that, you know, we can we can see a bit of, while we're looking at transition in terms of the squad and the age and, and bringing that a, average age down, I'm hoping that we see a bit of transition in the, the way that we play as well, you know, in, in, in terms of allowing players to express themselves a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that's the hope. Fingers crossed it will work out that way. But, I'm, I'm with a couple more additions. I'm relatively relatively excited. I'm just hoping that we don't lose Wilf. But you know, four weeks to sit here biting my nails on that one. Yeah, moving on to Arsenal. You know, Dan, um, you've obviously done a bit more business this week. How are you sort of racing Arsenal season? Uh, top six, possibly top four. I think is pretty unlikely right now. Um, which I don't think that's the view of most Arsenal fans, at least that I talk to. But um, I don't know. It's been okay. Um, uh, the William one is really what I'm annoyed with. Um, I don't, I don't like that deal. Um, even though I think he's a decent player, um, the reported years and money is kind of insane. Um, I don't know. I'm Gabriel transfer. I don't know much about him, but it seems fine. Um, I'm happy we got Ceballos back. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird because I'm pretty reluctant to think that we will get top four unless we and like no matter what we do like i really don't think there's much of we have a very good chance of making it this year so it's kind of a weird off season where i'm kind of like 
we just get some young players in and or like young, verbally young attackers and hope they push on. Obviously, like I don't know, there's a chance we have to improve a lot. We finished eighth last year. We deserve to be there. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't know if we will get significantly better. And I think United and Chelsea have both. Well, United got significantly better than they were in the first half of the season. Um, and if they have like any amount of attacking depth, they're a much better. They're a better team than we are. Um, Chelsea, I think, are a pretty clearly better team than we are. Um, Liverpool and City clearly are. Um, so it's kind. Of, it is kind of a weird one where I'm not all that hopeful. Um, and it's just kind of like all, all the one, all the transfers that would normally, you know, excite a better team, like the Thomas Partey links. I'm like, I don't want any part of him. Um, just because I don't think we should be signing players of that general age. I don't think Party's good enough to make an exception for that. Um, same thing with Zaha, actually. I, we haven't even linked him this year, so it doesn't matter. But he's kind of that kind of transfer where, like, the, you know, the 28-year-old who's going to come in, or 27, Zaha's 27, going to be 28. I think Party's 26, going to be 27, or he's already 27, something around that age. Those kind of players, um, you know, the ones you would like, we would have liked to get back in, like, 20. 14 2015 um now it's kind of like i'd rather we go a bit younger um even if even if that's not like 18 year olds more like like 22 year olds or 23 year olds something like that more of a young exciting prospect type than the sure thing um let's get him in because i don't think even unless we get some we find a pot of gold and get a lot more money than i am aware we have than we have to spend i don't think even if we sign a couple thomas partes more for zahas will be a top four team, so I kind of want to avoid those, um, which makes the transfer window less exciting, I guess. Yeah, just moving on to Gabriel and uh, Salibo coming back from the loan as well. Um, do you think that they'll come straight into the team and, and could this finally mean that we don't have to watch David Luiz play for Arsenal because Luiz will still be starting um, next weekend? I would definitely expect Luiz to start next weekend. He's... Luiz is such a weird player because he's honestly... 90% of the time, especially in a back three, in a back four, he's just not good. But in a back three, like 90% of the time, he's actually pretty solid. But it's the 10% is just so disastrous that he's no longer solid. Um, so I do expect him to start the year, uh, maybe play the whole year. I, It's hard to get a read with the younger center backs with such a limited preseason, and us not getting to see much of it. Um, and also, like, Gabrielle's literally just come in now, so I'll be pretty surprised if he plays. Um, Definitely this week, even in the first couple, I would expect him to get some time to uh, bet in, especially considering we have we have a lot of center backs. We don't have a lot of good center backs. We do have a lot of center backs. So if he's not ready, it's not like we need to thrust him in to play a lot of minutes. Um, we can kind of take our time. Um, Saliba, I would have more of an expectation to start quicker. Um, I could see him slotting into the back three slash four quicker. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he'll start, but I, I could definitely see him starting next to Louise and Tierney in a back three um, on Saturday. I'm uh, not sure it'll happen, but I could definitely see that. Whereas Gabrielle, I, I can't. I can't see that. Hopefully, Dan, for your sake, that uh, Salibur and Gabrielle can get into the team and lock down those slots. But moving on to Manchester United and Joshi now. Um, we spoke about Donny van der Beek earlier. Um, how do you rate that signing? Um, and, and where do you think he will fit in to Manchester United's plans? Uh, lots of good questions. Um, well, I think the first thing to say is that I think he's not coming in to just slot into the first 11, I don't think, um, straight away. 
I think when you when you when you see him play, he's very clearly technically excellent. As are most of that Ajax team. Right? Uh, you know, he came from. He was part of that that Ajax team that had that really great run in the Champions League. It went and it broke up at the end of that season with a few transfers. And you know, he's a, he's he's a he's a great profile in terms of age. Uh, from what I read about him, you know. He's a he's got the right attitude, a good trainer. He seems to fit in with this, you know, ethos of hard work and and, and uh, really working on his game. Uh, as far as I understand it, right? This is not. Um, I don't have any sort of specific information myself. It's from what I've read. Um, and and he he's very versatile. Again, like Ajax players tend to be. So you know, I think he's a really he's a really good signing. He's an astute signing, and it wasn't for ridiculous money in this kind of day and age i mean 35 million pounds is still a lot of money but when you when you consider the likes of graylish though you know 70 million was moved for him james madison 60 million and i think he's that type of player like kind of in that certainly for ajax he, he played in that, those attacking roles attacking midfield roles um although he has also played deep um as a kind of deep line playmaker I think overall, when when he plays for Ajax, he plays uh, in that box to box role. So, what he'll offer initially, I think, is is really good, a really good option for when we want to give Bruno Fernandes or Paul Pogba a rest um, and still retain that sort of technical ability in the side. So, I think Fred had an excellent season last year, but he's the kind of player that I think you need to have inside on a week to week basis for him to kind of build up some momentum of form. He he's not so good when you're chucking him in sporadically and, and we see that and technically I don't think he's he's on, on the level that you kind of want, want someone to be if you want them to kind of dictate play so I think Van der Beek gives, gives that option um, to, to rotate in, in those areas so yeah for me I think a really good signing um, certainly has to develop physically I think for the Premier League um, you know, again, we'll see how it goes. I think um, if you look at, I, I hope that if you know he'll have the type of technical ability whereby the physical side of things isn't so important. If you think at like Bernardo Silva and David Silva, they 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 adapted very well. Um, but I think generally, if you're playing in that central midfield area, that physicality is something he's going to need. Uh, so that'll take a bit of time to to adjust to. So. I think overall it's a really good signing. It adds quality to the depth of the squad um, and gives options um, in a number of areas because he's so versatile. And he's a good age. He can develop and grow with this side, which is young in, in general when you look around the attacking players <clears throat> especially. So, yeah, I th I'm, I'm pleased with the signing. It's a, uh, you know, the other pleasing aspect of it, it wasn't one of those, as we discussed earlier, that was mooted around all over social media and the papers. It means that United have done some business quietly. Um, and overall, it looks like a, a good um, a good, a good signing, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to tear up any trees and I don't think he's going to kind of win Ballon d'Ors in, in the next couple of years, but I think he, he's a, a very good signing for the side. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Yeah, just moving on to the, the goalkeeping situation, which seems to be uh, a hot topic uh, regarding Manchester United at the moment. How would you like to see uh, Manchester United sort of phase in Dean Henderson? And do you think that by keeping him around this season, it, it, he'll have to play him 
um, more so than you did Romero last year? And, and, and could it be a difficult situation for Solskjaer to manage? Um, I think it's a it's a good move, obviously, to keep a player of his quality. Um, and he's, good, again, a good age, still learning his game. I think when you look at it, De Gea is still number one. He made a lot of high-profile mistakes. And actually, when you look at the lockdown post, so the second part of the season, you know, one after the restart, um, I think we conceded 13 or 14 goals in the matches we played. And eight or nine of them were down to individual errors, like just specific, complete individual errors. And four or five of them were down to De Gea. And, and that's just not good. It costing us points and uh, and in the FA Cup game obviously cost us the game. Um, so I think for De Gea it will be good to have some genuine competition for that number one spot because Dean Henson's not going to sit there and be okay with being a backup. He was a, he's been a first team player for a good few seasons now and in the Premier League uh, last couple of seasons. So. He knows the league, he knows uh, he wants to play, and he's been a very, very good performer. He also has mistakes in him. So when we look back on last season, he has made mistakes, but I think that's okay if he learns and gets out of his game. So for me, what it does is it provides competition for the hair. The worst case scenario, the best case scenario, or however you want to look at it, one scenario is uh, De Gea feels that pressure, improves, and gets back to his best. Happy days for me, as far as I'm concerned. Not great if you want to see the, the Dean Henderson develop, but then again, he's got to then up his level as well. The other scenario is Henderson comes in and actually is more reliable overall, and, and he, he takes that number one spot. And, you know, I love David De Gea. Right? I, I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans. I think he's just been an outstanding goalkeeper. But, you, you know, last few seasons, it, or last two seasons, it's, been, it's not been so good. And the last season particularly, he's been distinctly average and I just hope that this sort of sharpens his focus or his mind whatever the issue is I'm not sure what it is um and and you know he can he can get to back to his best form the difficulty for Ollie is obviously then that he's got two two goalkeepers who who want to play so he's going to have to manage that but that's the that's a better that that's a kind of a, a nice situation as it were you know when you've got a selection headache where you've got two good options and you hope that they can both kind of do well then that's a better better headache than oh my god everyone i've got is is horrid so so you know that's part that's he's gonna have to manage that that's that's his job so um i think he'll get he'll get plenty of game time we're gonna have a lot of matches and there's gonna be a lot of condensed um fixture sort of runs right so you're gonna have lots of quickfire games and, and Henderson will get matches. And obviously, I hope we're successful. So the longer we go in the cup competitions, the more games um, will that will be hit with, and he'll get matches. So he will have the opportunity to kind of take that. But I, I'm assuming we go into the season with De Gea number one. Yeah, it, it is a nice problem to have. I think um, Ollie would like to have two players of that quality in every position. So yeah, it's, it's a nice problem to have. Um, but we are running short on time, so before we go, we just quickly have some quick match previews um, of the matches coming up this weekend. Um, we'll start with you, Jay, and you host Southampton in your season opener. How do you think that one's going to go? Yeah, interesting opener for us, actually. Um, Southampton played very well towards the end of last season, obviously having the threat of Danny Ings. 
James Wall Prowse always plays well against Palace as well. So I think it'll be quite a good matchup, and it's going to be very interesting to see how Roy Hodgson uh, lines his side up against uh, against the Saints uh, in this first game. I think it's really important to get off to a good start, as I mentioned earlier, because we had a horrific end of the season, uh, even though we, we snatched a point in the final game against Spurs to, to stop it being eight losses in a row. But that was just a horrific run. But I think sometimes you've got to think about how the fixtures are falling. Um, so, you know, I think on one one foot, you're looking at we got points on the board and we weren't actually in any any prob- in any actual trouble last season. Um, and it's just a, a bad run of games. So I think, you know, if we hadn't got those points by that stage of the season, then we'd have been in uh, a lot of trouble. So you could argue that we got the points on the board where we should have done uh, ahead of, uh, you know, ahead of that run in. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I think it's important to get off to a good start. Um, I think a lot of fans will probably take a point at home to Southampton. But, yeah, first game of the season, I think you, you, you've got to start on the, on the front foot, particularly at home. Um, but again, you know, it's a very different scenario to start the season with with no fans there. Um, you could argue that, you know, the players are probably used to it after that six weeks didn't to end last season. But I don't think players would ever get used to no fans being in the grounds, you know, for a, for a long period of time. So um, I think it's going to continue to be a strange for them um, as it is for us not being there. So. That's going to be difficult because, you know, the, the, the atmosphere at Sellers is always very good um, uh, and that ends up being tough, man, a lot of time and, you know, the, the, the players often react to that. So I, I think that's something that, you know, might trouble Palace a little bit um, because I think that was clear and obvious in, in that six weeks in, in the last season, hampered us a little bit. It, sound, it, it sounds weird because, you know, the guys are out there playing football and they're being paid to play football, but... Yeah, I think some players, you know, thrive on uh, an atmosphere at games and, um, you know, play better, play up to, you know, a good atmosphere. So I think that there's a certain element of truth in that. But these guys are professionals. So I think it's going to be a good matchup to start the season. You know, we're not playing one of the top four sides um, and it's a good opportunity to get some points on the board. And I think we will. Yeah, moving on to you, Dan. Uh, Arsenal kick off the season uh, away at Fulham in what will be the first game of the Premier League season. How do you- See that one going. Uh, are you expecting to go and maybe promote Fulham and win? Um, it'll be interesting. Away games have not been good for us the past uh, three, four years. We've been pretty bad away from home pretty consistently um, under a number of managers. Um, and Fulham will obviously be up for it. It's their first game back in the Premier League after a uh, season out. But It'll probably be close. I'll say we'll win just to be positive going into the new season. And we really do need it because we have what we start the season against um, Fulham and West Ham. Then we have Liverpool away, uh, Sheffield United, City away, Leicester at home, United or Manchester United away. Um, so it'll be it's it's a tough run after the first two games. So we really need the points now. We can get them. So hopefully we can take care of business against Fulham. Um, it won't be. I, I don't think it'll be as easy as we would like it to be, but it's absolutely a, it's one hundred percent a winnable game, and I think when we get we can win, we can and should win. Yeah, and Joshy, you obviously Manchester United don't play this weekend um, because of their Europa League commitments. But um, how do you think the game against uh, James Crystal Palace will go the following week? Well, I mean, I've alluded to it already. I think we've got a core group of players. Rashford has been. Had, he pulled out of the England squad, didn't he? So I think he's, I don't know what that injury is about. Um, 
I'm a little bit concerned about fatigue. I know the the, the season hasn't started, but um, it's not been much of a break. And we, we did play in the semi-final of the Europa League. So I, I would be surprised if we kind of kicked off all guns blazing. I think it will, you know, uh, we, we, will, we will take our time getting our rhythm, I think. Um, just I'm a, I'm a bit concerned just about how leggy the players will be. It's, it's uh, I'm not sure how much rest they'll have, and then there's you know lack of preseason. It's it's a very short gap between the two two seasons, and I already mentioned the international break, which I think is a complete joke. But um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, we we also have again a, also you know a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll get we'll get a couple couple of players in. You never know. Um, but it, I'm hoping we start off well because we continue some of that form that we we had over the after the restart. But you know, Palace will have a game this weekend. Maybe blow out some of the cobwebs and and you know and will will probably be a little bit more match sharp than us. So I think it will be a tough game, and I don't see us sort of you know starting out the blocks quickly. I I just have a, a um, unfortunately. <laughs> A little bit of a, a, a uh, niggling feeling that we're, we're going to be a bit sort of um, fatigued very quickly in the early matches in the season until we find a bit of match sharpness. So yeah, I think it'll be one of those. Hopefully, it's, hope, obviously, as a fan, I hope we win. But you know, um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm hoping for a couple more couple of transfers as well. But yeah, no, I guess I'm looking forward to it, <laughs> although I don't sound like it. That we are now out of time, so just like to tell people where they can reach you. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. It's uh, it's been good to look ahead to the new season. Um, I'm Jay. I'm from I'm the editor of the Eagles Beak Palace fan, so you can get us on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. I'm also uh, a presenter of a sports uh, community radio show. It goes out every Tuesday uh, in a local area, but you can get it online as well, and you can contact us at Meridian SS. Yep, and I'm still Dan, still an Arsenal fan. You can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for having me on as well. Um, I'm Joshi. You can get me on Twitter at Medi Joshi. Um, and, and yeah, just find me on there and, and you'll see all the other stuff that I do. Cheers. Yeah, and you can get the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. Our sister shows at Championship Pod and a new show that's come out on the EPL Index feed, which is. Um, Hosted by Dave Hendrick, the two footed pod, if you want to give that one a listen, um, that should all be on our feed. Um, you get me on Twitter at jjackal 2 ends, but that, that is finally, we are now out of time, and we hope you join us again next time. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.